We are so glad that you're here on this crisp fall day. I mean, it's been so warm this week, and now we all know what's coming. Some of you love the cold. Some of you just know that you're going to be depressed for the next six months. So I'm kind of in between. I'm good for about halfway through. But, man, we are so glad that you're here. And if you're new with us today, thank you so much for making us a part of your day. As we're in this series on the book of John called Lawbreaker, and we've been in uh, John for a little bit now, and, and we're in the middle of chapter 7 today, and there's this real tension going on and a lot of questions being asked, a lot of questions being asked by um, some people that are actually curious, and then some questions being asked by some people that uh, really aren't curious, they're just trying to catch Jesus in a, in a mess up, and so it's a, it's a little tense situation, and I got thinking about questions. How many in here uh, have ever played the game 20 Questions? You ever played that game? How many enjoy the game 20 questions? Like three of you, exactly. So it's one of them games that uh, a lot of times I feel like gets played when you're on a long trip and you have nothing else to do, right? And this was back when we were little before we had devices, we had to play games instead of like, hey, just get on your device and waste your mind. But anyway, 20 questions is one of those games that uh, I struggle with a little bit because I'm somebody that thinks in very black and white specific things and I'm not real good at thinking of creative questions to ask to get to where I need to be and to find out what the answer is. I mean, if you play with like a little kid, yeah, this is easy. You can figure out what they're talking about. But if you play with somebody that's asked you something abstract or they're thinking of something abstract, there becomes this like pressure on you. And I don't know about you, but like I'm super competitive and I like to win. And so it doesn't matter what game I'm playing. And there's certain games I won't play because I know I can't win at them. So I'm not going to play them. And, you know, 20 questions, I get to like question 15 and the pressure starts to mount. And it starts getting in my head like, oh, man, I need, to, I need to figure out what this is. And you got like five questions left and you feel like you're no closer to the answer than you were at question one. And so those quality of questions, the pressure starts to build and uh, mount. And most of you are looking at me like you take 20 questions way too seriously. But I'm just one of them guys. And some of you are like that, you know. Uh, there's always questions being asked and you're trying to think of things. But when, when it comes to life, to be honest, there's a lot of questions. In fact, there's probably more questions than there are answers these days. When you think about what life is all about and what's going on in our world and everything that's going on around us, you're like, man, there's a lot of questions and there's not a lot of answers. Well, there's people that will tell you that they've got the answers, but most of the time you figure out they're just making stuff up. And we have questions in life sometimes that make life hard, that make life difficult. And today, what I want to encourage you is, we're going to go on a car ride with Jesus through John chapter number 7. And we're going to ask Jesus a bunch of questions, because in this chapter, in John chapter 7, there are 19 questions asked. I really tried to find a 20th question, so I could say, hey, we're going to play 20 questions. But I could only find 19 questions asked in John chapter 7. And in the passage that we're in today, 13 of those 19 questions are asked. Now, we're not going to hit every question, but this is one of those passages where they are spending time trying to figure out, hey, is Jesus who he said he really is? Today, you might be sitting here and there might be questions in your life. There might be things that you're asking. There might be things that you're trying to figure out. Today, we want to go to a place where we think that we can find the answers. See, we believe that the Word of God, that Scripture, is the place that gives us the answers to life. 
you have a question that needs answering, that has pertains to your life and how you should live it, we at Miles City believe if you open the Word of God, if you open Scripture, you'll find the answers that you need. And so today you might be sitting here and there might be questions that you are asking, that you're trying to figure out, hey, is Jesus worth following? What is this Christianity? Should I be involved? We hope that through John chapter 7 you'll get the answers that you're looking for. There might be some of you sitting here today that say, hey, I've got a lot of my questions answered. And maybe you're on the edge or maybe you've crossed over and you're like, I, I understand what's going on. I've got, the, I've got some answers from the word of God that I needed. I hope today that John chapter 7 reinforces or reiterates the things that you say that you believe and that you'll be renewed in your vision of following Christ, that you'll be encouraged to continue to follow him. And in a crowd this side, I've got, uh, size, I've got to be honest there. I know people sitting here that you're sitting here going, I have no questions. In fact, if you're honest, the only question that you have is where am I going to eat lunch in a few minutes? And I understand that because I've been in services where that was my only question as well. But I hope that over the next few minutes that what you hear will be in the back of your mind the next time that you have some questions that need answering. And you'll say, hey, I want to look in John chapter 7 because I think there were some answers in there that I need in my life right now. But before we jump into this passage, could we just take a minute to ask God to clear our hearts and our minds? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you love us and that you care for us. We thank you that you're faithful. Lord, that you give the answers to life that we're searching for. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for scripture that speaks to us. And uh, God, we ask over the next few minutes that you would just open our hearts and our minds to your leading, that we would be sensitive, that we would listen to what you have to say to us from your word. God, I ask that you would remove the distractions from our heart and our mind, that we'd be able to focus on what is truth. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're faithful to us and that you extend your grace and mercy to us each day. We ask that you will be honored with what is said and what happens today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we're in John chapter 7 and we're kind of in the middle of the chapter. So just a quick recap. Last week Travis talked about the fact that during this chapter they're in a period of time called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Basically this was a remembrance of what the Jewish people would do to remember how God protected their nation in the Old Testament as they wandered through the wilderness. So they literally would move out of their house and they would stay in a tent for this week. And this is the week that this is happening. This was a very important week in Jewish history. There's a lot of things tied into this week. And we're going to see even in this chapter some things that happen that really drive home the fact of who Jesus is. Then there's these groups of people that are coming to Jesus and they're asking a lot of questions. I told you there's 19 questions asked in this passage. Jesus asked some of the questions, but then there's two other groups that ask questions. The first group is Pharisees. The Pharisees were people that were religious. They understood the law. They had a lot of it memorized. They studied the prophets. They were the ones that were basically the religious leaders of the day, but they also had some uh, governmental authority given to them by Rome as well. And then there was people in this crowd that actually were searching. The questions they asked, you could tell, actually were sincere questions. Like they really were wanting the answers to the questions of life. 
And so that's where we're at in chapter 7. And the questions continue to come. In fact, look at verse number 25 with me of John chapter number 7. It says this, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So Jesus is out teaching and preaching. And the people come to him and are like, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that they're looking for? Some people want to make Jesus the king. Some people want to stone him to death. It's a highly volatile situation that Jesus is walking into. And that's why he's moving around a lot. That's why he's not staying in one place for very long. But he comes to these folks and he's teaching them. And they're like, hey, isn't this the guy? And why aren't they messing with him? Is it because he could be the Christ? But then they continue to go through the process. But, and, they, and, they, and they come to verse 27 and they say this. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So like, this can't be the Christ. Just the verse before, could this be the Christ? And now this can't be the Christ because we don't know where the Christ will come from. What that question shows is, shows that, hey, something's not adding up for these folks. Maybe they didn't have access to the scriptures. Maybe they didn't listen to the Sunday school lesson when that was taught because A lot of people would say the Messiah is just going to magically appear, but really the Old Testament talked quite a bit about where the Messiah would come from. In fact, Micah told that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Hosea said that he would spend time in Egypt. Isaiah said his work would begin in Galilee. Three things that line up exactly with what Jesus is happening in his life, but most people thought of Jesus as from Nazareth. They didn't know enough about him. They hadn't studied enough about him or the scriptures to understand that, hey, Jesus, is, is he's kind of lining up with exactly what the Old Testament prophets prophesied. But there's tension. There's this tension going on. So it continues in verse number 28. It says this, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. A lot of words of Jesus just saying, yeah, you know who I am, but you don't know who sent me. You don't know my dad. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know who my father is. Basically, he's calling them out at this point. What he's saying to them is, hey, you might know the promises, but you don't know the person." You might know what's been promised in the Old Testament. You might know that a Messiah was promised, that a Messiah would come, but you don't recognize the person that is standing right here in front of you. You don't recognize that I am Jesus. I am the one that was promised to be here. I appreciate you being at Mile City today and sitting in our service. And um, I don't ever want to assume that you know all the answers or you know all about Jesus just because you're here. I would say that most people that live in America and live in this area know a little bit about Jesus. I mean, a couple days is Halloween, and then after Halloween, it's Christmas. We don't even celebrate Thanksgiving anymore. In fact, if you go to the stores now, Christmas has already begun. I saw the Christmas trees out. Some of you just love it, and you're just like, oh, this is so special. God bless your heart. 
Most people know what Christmas is about. Oh, we like to exchange gifts. We like to go take our kids to see Santa and all that. But we know Christmas is celebrating the birth of Jesus. You don't have to drive very far to see a nativity scene and things like that. A few months from now, we'll celebrate Easter. Mile City is so packed on Easter, we have to add a third service. Because most people know, hey, Easter is the day I should go to church because they're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Even if you don't really believe in Jesus, you understand what those days are about. And there might be some of you here that, hey, you not only come to Mile City, but you consider yourself a part of Mile City, and your knowledge of Jesus goes even farther. When we get up and sing the songs, you might even know the words. You might not even need to look at the screen because these are the songs you listen to during the week and you can sing along. Maybe you were raised in church and when we say to turn to the book of John, you know exactly where to go in your Bible because there was a time you learned the 66 books of the Bible and you could say them in order. And all those things are good. But sometimes, you know what happens is we start getting comfortable with the rituals we go through And we forget about the relationship. Some of you might have been raised in churches that have a lot of tradition. If you notice much about us at Mile City, you know we try to throw most tradition out the door. I mean, you're sitting in a warehouse right now. Literally, there's forklifts going on behind me right now. I just heard them beeping a minute ago when I was praying. Okay, not real traditional. I have no problem with traditional churches. I just, I got to go away this week down south and I was in a church that was very ornate, ornate, very beautiful, got to worship in it. It was a great experience. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But some of us, we start going through the rituals and we forget why those rituals are important. We still do some traditional things here. We do the Lord's Supper or communion. Try to do it once a month. We want to remember what God does for us. But let's be honest, sometimes we can just go through the motions of that. We forget why we do those things. Jesus looks at these people, and so many of them, they knew the rituals, they knew the traditions, but they were missing the relationship that he was wanting to have with them because they were so focused in on their tradition, and they were so focused in on their laws, and they were so focused in on the way they've always done things that they missed that, hey, this is the guy that we've been hoping for. So many times we can come to church and we can be together and we can be so focused in on the tradition. Oh, we know we're going to sing some songs and I'm going to talk about giving money and then the pastor's going to get up and speak and then we're going to sing a song and we're going to go home. Hey, I checked my box. I did that this week. I'm a good Christian. We go six days without any relationship with Jesus Christ. Focus more on the relationship than you do the ritual. So the story goes on. We're going to skip down to verse 37. By the way, we're hitting some of the highlights. We're not preaching each verse in John chapter 7. I want to encourage you this week to sit down and read John chapter 7 from start to finish. Do it like once a day. Just get the whole story. Somebody, I think, just hit their phone Bible and started reading it for them right now, all right? That's the worst, too, because you version, it's hard to find the off switch for it. But anyway, I've had it happen to me before, all right? Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, that's important, don't forget that, all right? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is my favorite part of this passage. And so if you're like zoning out, if you'll just listen for the next like five minutes, I want to tell you some really cool stuff that I discovered this week. And I didn't discover it like, oh, I found something that no one's ever saw. I actually discovered it because I studied some commentaries. I've read this chapter over and over again, and I never understood the significance of what was going on here. So at the start, we talked about this is the week of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the last day, the great day. And Jesus gets up and he said, hey, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. What Jesus is referring there is referring back to the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you go back to Isaiah in the Old Testament, it's one of the largest books in the Old Testament. If you read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is full of doom and gloom. Basically, the judgment and destruction of God is coming upon Judah and the nations around Judah. He is kicking butt and taking names the first 39 chapters. Isaiah would have been a person that you would not have wanted to have been hanging around because he was a Debbie Downer. Everything he said was like, ugh, God's judging us again. And it was well-deserved. But then there's something that happens in chapter number 40 of Isaiah. Isaiah's tone begins to change and he starts to talk about the hope that you find in the servant. He starts writing about there's a hope that comes with the servant. And we know who he was referring to. Now looking back, he was referring to Jesus Christ. And Isaiah, when he gets to chapter number 52, he talks about the servant who is Jesus. He'll be known by those who know God. And he says he'll be high and lifted up. Sounds a little bit like what Jesus' ministry is doing now. He's exalted. People want to hear what he has to say. In chapter 53, which is a chapter many of us are familiar with, the servant brings salvation by hanging on a tree, by suffering, and by dying for sinners in our place. Then you get to chapter 54 of Isaiah. You see the death and the resurrection of the servant, which brings peace with the Father and an everlasting covenant. And then you get to chapter 55, and verse number 1 says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now what you just experienced right there from Isaiah 52 to Isaiah 55 is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It lays out the message that, hey, I am the Messiah that has come to pay the price for your sins, to restore the relationship that you want to have with God. I'm him. I'm the guy. And the Pharisees that were sitting there that knew the Old Testament prophecies, (laughs) you you bet your bottom dollar that they understood what he was saying. They didn't like it, but they knew where he was going. And it twerked them, it made them mad, it was angered them because they didn't like what he had to say right here. But if that doesn't convince you enough, tradition... And studying of history tells us that on the last day, the great day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the priest would go around the altar with a huge vat of water. And they would circle that altar seven times. And then on the seventh time, they would pour the water out with great pomp and circumstance. This was called 
Hoshana Rabbah, the great Hoshiana, which being interpreted means save now. They would say that word loudly, Hoshiana, save now. So think about it. Jesus is in the temple teaching. This is the last day, the great day of the feast. The priest, seven times around, that great thing of water, pours it out, very ceremonially yells out, Hoshiana, save now. Then Jesus gets up, says, hey, all you that are thirsty, come unto me. That's pretty exciting. Now, you might not be convinced, but I don't know what else I could tell you to convince you that Jesus is the Messiah. From the prophecy of Isaiah to what he says here in the temple, after understanding, hey, this is what they're doing. This is what is going on while this is being written. This is what is happening while Jesus is discussing this with the Pharisees and answering the questions that are asked of them. This is what these people are seeing. Jesus is the water that brings life. See, in the the Bible, water is referred to in several ways. First of all, the water can be referred to, the word of God can be referred to water. And the idea is when the word of God and the water are associated, it's like a cleansing. It renews, it refreshes, it, it washes away the sin and cleanses, makes us something new. The Holy Spirit, when it's referred to as water, He refers to a satisfaction. He's the one that brought salvation. He's the one that fills us, that sustains us, that satisfies us. Jesus is saying, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He can't come yet because I haven't been glorified. You would think at this point the Pharisees would say, you know what? You fit all the criteria and what you're saying lines up with the Old Testament prophets. You've got us. But look what they say instead. Look at verse number 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? What a stupid thing to say right then. Think about it. He just said, come unto me all you thirsty. And they're like, yeah, but he's from Galilee. Do we really want to listen to him? It's like he's from Ohio. Sorry. All right. That just came to me. That was the Holy Spirit's leading. All right. But anyway, all right. Some of you, somebody needed to hear that today. All right. Has not, verse 42, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. They had an issue with what he was saying. Some people asked, is this the prophet? Is this the Christ? And yet so many of them just wanted to throw him in jail. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're confused by life. Maybe you're following patterns and rituals, trying to make sense of it all, and you're seeking Jesus is telling us the same thing he told them. Come unto me, you that are thirsty. Now satisfy your thirst. See, Jesus quenches the thirst that our questions bring. Just like at the feast, they would pour out this water and the water would evaporate. The water would dry up and 
Once again, they'd have to go to the pitcher and refill the pitcher. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well. And she's there to draw water like she was every day. Why? Because the water ran out. And he said, hey, listen, I can give you a water that will continually satisfy that you'll never thirst again. See, with Jesus, we don't have to refill constantly because he remains constant. Jesus is enough. So we finish the chapter in John chapter 7. Look at verse number 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse basically is saying, Are you stupid? Literally, that's, that's in, the, in the Greek, if you study it, that's, what it, that's the translation. I'm joking, all right? But literally, that's what they're saying to him. Are you dumb? Do you see any of us believing that he's the Christ? How dare you say he's the Christ? How dare you not do what we told you to do and arrest him? Do you see any of us following him? You that don't know the law are accursed. You're dumb. You don't, you don't, you don't understand the law. But... Nicodemus in verse 50. Remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3, same guy. Who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Ooh. You mean you're actually going to make us live by what we say we study? Look what they say to him. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Basically, they had no answer to Nicodemus because they knew he was right. So instead of answering the question, they tried to cast doubt on who Nicodemus was. Don't we do that today? People ask a question we don't like, we try to make fun of them. Oh, you're, you're dumb. You don't understand what you're asking. It's almost like when reporters ask politicians the question and they'd still give an answer that has nothing to do with the question. Oh, you're dumb. You don't understand. Let me tell you what it really is. And then they kind of, they their tell is in this last statement. You know when you play cards with somebody and they can't keep a secret? And if they've got a good hand, you can see it all over their face. Or if they have a bad hand, you can see it all over their face. That's where Jesus, this is where the Pharisees are. They said, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. What they're saying is no prophet has ever come from Galilee. No prophet will ever come from Galilee. The problem was prophets had come from Galilee. These guys that supposedly knew the law now are either lying or they don't know the law as well they say they do. Micah was from Galilee. Elijah was from Galilee. Jonah was from Galilee. Nahum and Hosea, both from Galilee. So what they said was basically a bald-faced lie. Now they've resorted to just straight-up lying about who Jesus is because they have no argument against him. These prophets that they're denying came from Galilee. They are the ones that foretold of Jesus' birth, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. And in Jesus, God kept his promises made through those prophecies by doing exactly what he said he would do. The problem was, though, Jesus was in their head. He was in their head. They couldn't take it. They had no answers because everything they would ask him, he would have an answer for. They couldn't rile him up. They couldn't anger him. 
They couldn't get him to slip up. I can't wait till next week, John chapter 8. They're going to try to get him to slip up by bringing him the adulterous woman. Hey, guess what? You don't even have to come. I'm joking. You do need to come next week, but they don't, they don't succeed. You know why? Because they had Jesus that was in their heads, but he wasn't in their hearts. I told you earlier there was two types of people asking questions to Jesus. There were those that were the Pharisees, the religious people that were asking questions to try to trip him up. But then there was a crowd asking him questions that really wanted some answers to life. They really wanted to find out what life actually was about. They wanted to know, was Jesus really the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been praying and hoping for? Are you him? Even John the Baptist, his cousin, who went out and foretold him, preached about him. And when John was about to lose his life, even he says, I just want to double check. Are you the one? Am I dying for a cause here or am I dying in vain? Maybe today you're sitting here in one of those two crowds. Maybe you're skeptical of what Jesus actually is and who he is and what he can do and where he came from. And is he really the son of God? Could Jesus really be God and be on earth? Did Jesus really die? Did Jesus really raise from the dead three days later? All that sounds impossible. And yet when we study the Old Testament and we see what the prophets prophesied and the fact that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, it's impossible for it not to be. You might know all the facts. You might know all the things. You might know this story better than I do. You might know the Jewish custom better than I do. But you got to stop with Jesus just being in your head. You got to have him in your heart. can't stop there don't let the rituals don't let the traditions of what you've grown up on stand in the way of you actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ there's going to be a lot of people someday that stand before God that said hey I went to church every week I did this and I did that I can quote this and I can sing this and I know this part of scripture and I can say this and I can tell people this and they say yeah but you never had me in your heart you knew me up here but you never knew me here today in John chapter 7 Jesus makes it so clear that he came to have a relationship with us that's why he came he came so that he could die on a cross to pay the price for our sin our sin that separates us from God The sin that we have to pay for if he doesn't. But he said, I love you so much, I'll pay for your sin. And he died on that cross, a cruel death, and he gave his life, but he didn't stay dead because three days later, he did rise again. You say, that's impossible. You're right. It is impossible for a man to rise again, but he was God. And he rose three days later to show that he has power over sin and death so that he could restore the relationship that God so desires to have with us. And today you can put your faith and trust in Christ. In just a minute, we're going to close in a prayer. And I'm going to ask you, hey, if that's your desire, if there's never been a point in time in your life when you turn from your sin and turn to a Savior, today you can make that choice. Don't give me that line, well, I believe in Jesus. A lot of people believe in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. 
that doesn't mean anything. The Pharisees believed in a Messiah. They just couldn't see that he was standing right in front of them. There are still Jews today waiting for a Messiah to come, and he's already come. For us that know Jesus, are we focused more on just going through the rituals and the traditions, or are we focused on a relationship with him? How's your relationship today? When was the last time that you opened the word of God and really dove into what God was trying to tell you from it? When was the last time you spent more than three minutes in prayer? When was the last time that you told somebody how much Jesus means to you and what he's done for you because your relationship with him is so extraordinary that you can't stand but tell other people about him? Where are we at? But it has to start with that relationship. And today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, we would love for you to do that. And so right now, I'm just going to ask us to be in an attitude of prayer if we just bow our heads. And today, if there's never been a time in your life where you can say, you know what, Barry, I can't say that I've ever completely put my faith and trust in Christ. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe that he died for my sins, but there's never been that point in my life where I put my trust in him. Today can be that day. Just say something like this to him. Say, God, I confess my sins to you. God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Jesus, I believe that you're God and that you died, but you also rose again from the dead. And today I want to lower my pride. I want to repent of my sins. I want to put my faith and trust in you and only you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sins. God, we thank you for those that made that decision today. Lord, that they understand the grace and the mercy of God and how much that you love them and that your son gave his life so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. God, I ask today that you would draw us near to you. I ask for those of us that know you as our Savior, that are walking with you, that today, Lord, we would make sure that we're focusing more on the relationship than we are the ritual. God, that we would spend time with you, that we would get to know who you are and how much you love us, that we really would live like you are the Son of God and you are our Lord. How we thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Now today, let's give it up for those that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If that was the decision that you made, we would love an opportunity to talk to you about that. So you could catch me out in the hall as you leave. You could fill out that green card on there. It has a place where if you put your faith in Christ, there's a number on the screen you can text the word Mile City to. We just think that moving together is better and we'd love an opportunity to talk to you about that, answer any question that you might have. Let somebody know that you put your faith and trust in Christ. If it's not me, tell the person next to you, say, hey, I just put my faith and trust in Christ. I promise it's the best decision you've ever made.